Hey everybody, welcome back to the Next Move podcast. And today I'm lucky enough to have Dr. Geeta Munchnath with me, who is the CEO and co-founder of a health tech startup called Niramai. And what they're doing is they're on the mission to eliminate unnecessary deaths due to breast cancer. And in the years since their launch in 2016, they've done some incredible things. So I'm incredibly excited to have Dr. Geeta Manjanath with me. How are you doing? I'm good. Thanks a lot for uh, inviting me to this uh, show of yours. Thank you. Of course. So, you know, let, let's get straight into it. Um, I wanted to know, could you tell me a little bit about your background and kind of the story and mission that led you to starting Niramai? Sure. Um, I'm actually uh, basically a techie computer scientist, uh, you know, from Indian Institute of Science. Uh, you know, I did my PhD there. And uh, I have been in a research and innovation career for a long time now. And uh, in fact, uh, before starting Niramai, I was a lab director of a multinational company, Xerox Research, um, and, uh, and working on several interesting uh, problems right, uh, regarding use of technology for solving some real, real uh, on-the-ground problems. And that is when uh, you know, some of my um, very close uh, friends and cousins, actually two of my cousins uh, got detected with breast cancer. Uh, that, uh, that was the trigger. And that's when I uh, you know, started working on breast cancer and decided to start the startup. Wow, so you know, there's definitely an incredible mission behind it. Um, I wanted to know, I think a lot of people that I've interviewed in the healthcare space have all come from a non-healthcare background and have come from a technology background, which is incredible because you know, I'm sure, as you know better than anybody else, the medical field is extremely specific and requires a lot of knowledge. I, I wanted to know, how do you make, right off the bat, how do you make that transition into an industry that you don't know anything about? Where do you even get started? I guess, I guess it's all about uh, passion and sort of wanting to do something, right? So now that's where it comes. And then you will go ahead and sort of learn all that it takes to make that happen, right? So that's the sort of the basic thing. Mm -hmm. Having said that, definitely, uh, you know, if, if it is related to healthcare, we need to partner with uh, clinical experts, uh, you know, radiologists, oncologists. We, are, we have many friends now. Um, talk about your ideas, saying how it's going to be different from what's uh, what's out there, and and we have partnered with them, learned from them, asked very very dumb questions at the beginning. Of course, read a lot on the web. You know, I have even gone and uh, sat in uh, medical conferences where initially I never used to understand any of the words. All I used to do was write down words I don't understand and go and Google it, and then sort of learn more. So it's that is that is a sort of you know. A, uh, slowly you'll start picking up and uh, I, I won't claim that I know as much as an oncologist or radiologist, but uh, we do know enough to run our, uh, run our company now. So that's, uh, it's very important that you learn the field before you sort of you know, go all out and jump into it because we need to understand what's out there, what's wrong with the current system, how and what needs to be fixed and, uh, and then whether your solution actually fits, right? So that's sort of, uh, for that you'd really need to go uh, go deep into the current uh, system that exists, uh, you know, where you're paying. Yeah, so, so I, I think you bring up a great point and I want to dive into that. Um, how do you find the existing problem 
because you said, you know, two family members that you had and two cousins of yours had breast cancer. How did you go about finding what is the gap here? Why are they, why is this happening so late? Why are they detecting breast cancers at such a late stage? How do you go about the research behind before even finding the solution? So uh, to be frank with you, um, I just knew that uh, there was this problem. I mean, if it is like one case, fine. Like two cases, just you know, within four months of time, both of them uh, were around 40 years of age. And that's when sort of, you know, of course, I discussed with the family members and doctors and figured out there is a real gap. Um, then I, I said, okay, what do I know that, that I can use to solve this problem? Of course, with my wonderful team, right? You know, we started discussing about this piece, right? Um, once we had some early solution, uh, you know, which uh, probably uh, you know, has uh, some benefit of uh, um, changing the scene or we can, we can see we'll address this issue. Then I said, okay, so let me fully see this, you know, how vast is this really sort of going to help? How vast is this problem really? And so on. So that's, uh, that's when I sort of, you know, again, discuss with doctors, discuss with epidemiologists and, and also searching out on the web gives you a lot of documentation on what's the scene today. And breast cancer is in fact, uh, one of the largest cancer killers, you know, 600,000 women die every year because of this disease. The unfortunate thing is that uh, it can be very easily, not easily, it is one of the most, you know, solvable cancers compared to any other type of cancer. Right? As long as you detect early, uh, it's almost, uh, you know, sure shot, uh, you know, curable. Which is, which is beautiful, right? I mean, um, all you need to do is make sure that you detect it early. Of course, you cannot stop it from coming to a person. I mean, we'll try and do that, the life stage changes and all that. But if it comes, you know, let's catch it early so that it just sort of goes away and people can live 30, 40 years after that. That was the sort of the motto, right? And that is how we started looking at it and then said, okay. Uh, today, if you look at uh, the current solutions, uh, mammography is... Um, the de facto standard for breast cancer detection. And it does not work on uh, women under 45 years of age, right? Um, and uh, I saw the statistics that uh, not just two of my cousins, and I heard like many of my friends' friends also having it, and I said, okay, what's the stats like? I figured out that um, the mean age for breast cancer in India was about 52 years of age, which is crazy because... What that means is 50% of the ladies are under 52 and many under 40 also. So it's just, uh, this is not just in India. I found that this is around the world. You know, the number of cancers happening in younger women was increasing more and more. And today there is no test which can authentically desist, uh, detect whether there is this disease in early stage. Of course, uh, you can always find it if there is a lump which is growing so fast, right? So you can feel, you can feel it with your hand and sort of, you know, the lady will go to a gynecologist. But that's stage three, stage four. That's almost like a 25 millimeters of cancer, which is, which is uh, in, in medical terms also, it is uh, stage three plus. So, so that, that, need, that needed to be changed, right? Um, so, so we brought in this new solution, which can actually detect 5 mm of cancer, which is it's very important, right? When there is no symptom, if you can just go every year for a simple breast health check, the person, the person need not have cancer, the person need not be high risk, she just goes every year, takes a simple test and comes up. Then, uh, then we can actually detect things very early. 
And that was the thought process. Okay, and um, so the current solution, you're saying that, I, I, I watched an interview where you said also the radiation that you take from a mammography also makes it, and it's, it's kind of weird to think about, it, it increases the chance of, your, of you getting cancer due to the radiation. So it, it's kind of backwards. Uh, could you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, so mammography uses X-rays uh, to detect uh, small lumps, uh, called microcalcifications, and of course uh, malignant lumps and all, um, which is good. I mean, by by the way, that's the only proven uh, test uh, to uh, have detected cancer in uh, women about forty-five years of age and so on. Um, having said that, uh, it uses X-rays, right? So even mm -hmm. American College of Radiology. Uh, uh, has said that you cannot use the test more often than once in two years. That mm. is, if, if I do the test now, I can only do it in 2022. Between that, there are several cancers that may come in. That is one. And if I say, no, I want to catch it early, I'll go every year, then the risk due to the exposure to the radiation itself is so high mm -hmm. that it can double um, the risk for cancer itself. And there are papers which talk about malignant uh, mammography-induced cancers as well, right? Although it's a small percentage, um, but still, yeah, you know, you, you can, you're not advised, or a lady is not advised to go for a mammography test every year, unless it's like really high risk, her mother had cancer, she has BRCA, and all of this, right? So typically it happens once in, uh, you know, they are advised only once in two years, just to sort of balance the risk versus benefit. So that's a bad thing, obviously, right? The test is supposed to protect her from cancer. And so we need uh, we needed a non-radiation based, right? A non-X-ray based uh, screening. So X-rays actually, as you know, like, you know, uh, I think I uh, talked about it in other places. It's like, uh, you want to take an X-ray of your hand, right? You will see the skeleton as white, right? And the rest is black. That's because X-rays uh, don't pass through dense places. And so, you know, they remain um, you know, conspicuous. You can actually see it. Same principle, the breast is compressed between two plates, x-rays are passed in mammography, and uh, any small uh, hard stuff, right, will get detected. The catch is that every hard stuff is not cancer, right? It's just a bunch of tissue sticking together. So every lump is not cancer. So the lady doesn't need to be worried about it. You need another test, like a tissue test, take out the tissue, do it under the microscope, and see if there's many cancer. Second, we talked about the uh, age, and we talked about the x-ray part of it also. What we need to see and what we wanted to see in our new technology is, uh, can we catch cancer? Not, not lumps, right? Not hard stuff, because not, not every hard stuff is existing. So that is where what we found was that uh, sort of cancer cells, uh, as, as, as you also know, uh, kind of divides at a much, much higher rate. You know, there's higher mitotic activity. There is higher cell division and irregular cell division. It's almost like a, like a, a like a demon who wants to eat more and more, right? So it actually sort of eats up all the food surrounding it also and eats up all the cells and sort of, you know, it, it takes a lot of food. So there's more um, blood uh, flow to that area as well. So, um, so this is what we wanted to catch, right? And this activity, this high metabolic activity increases the temperature at the area of activity and it uh, increases the blood flow. So the uh, temperature variations around the lesions are also very, um, you know, high or different, 
right? Very different, I would say. So it's like a separate kind of a pattern that emerges around the cancer. And uh, that is what a, a thermal imaging device, an infrared imaging device that we use will try to capture. But these differences are so subtle that you cannot see it with your bare eyes. I mean, you can see the temperature rise. You'll see something really red or white, which is high temperature in the heat map. But uh, there's so many reasons why something can be hot, right? You know, just wearing tight clothing and so on and so forth. So, um, so you really need a very uh, fine-grained analysis of this heat or a temperature distribution to actually find whether it's cancer or not. And, and that's, uh, that's what we ended up uh, creating along the way basically. okay so so you you're saying that using thermal imaging you're able to suspect that there may be cancer oncoming um so i assume that when you're building out this algorithm you're using artificial intelligence to be able to identify this is what looks like cancer this is what not doesn't look like cancer so based yeah. on that i'm coming up with a probability that you know you should get up you should go for more checking at a more affordable rate. You're giving women the opportunity to do that. So I wanted to explore, yeah. you know, with a lot of technology startups, especially AI based startups uh, that I've talked to, it takes a long time to get that algorithm to a place where you're confident in the probability of success. So can you talk about the, the challenges that you faced while building this algorithm, especially in a field that you hadn't been a part of yet? Yeah, so initially, of course, when we started, I was discussing with one of my friends to see like, you know, what other imaging exists. And he did mention about thermal imaging. And this is Dr. L.K. Mesta. And then we said, let's like, you know, uh, try it out. And so uh, uh, with his uh, friend's contact in a hospital, he arranged to take a thermal image, thermal video of two people who were going in for a surgery. They were cancer patients. So and then he showed it to me and said, like, can we do anything in this? I said, um, of course, uh, you know, visually it looks something, but definitely we can develop um, some imaging algorithms to basically uh, detect the cancer, where the cancer is. So, so the first uh, leg of this uh, whole effort, I would say, uh, was, uh, uh, you know, hospital in Mangalore, uh, Karnataka, where we first um, uh, only took images of uh, cancer patients, thermal images of cancer patients. We set up a collaboration, we like formal IRB approval and all of those things, that is institutional review board approval of the uh, medical institute um, to take these images because there's no harm, right? You know, we're just measuring the temperature of the body. You're not like throwing any rays or anything. It's a passive thing. So that was good. So we went in and um, um, yeah, I mean, uh, so we took about 72 uh, images of 72 patients, patients who were going in for surgery. They were all cancer patients. And then with my team, sorry, we developed um, uh, algorithms to say, okay, here is the cancer, right? You know, it's more like a non-AI based algorithm, just imaging based algorithm, where is the hotspot and so on. So there are some techniques that we use, so localization techniques, so that we use and develop. And then we discussed with the doctors, they said, yeah, these, these are matching. That means we are able to identify cancer in cancer patients. That was the first point, right? Then, um, so that's when sort of, you know, I said, okay, maybe, maybe we should spend more time on this. So we uh, invested more time and um, Mesaji sort of, he had some other projects. So he left. And so I was sort of looking at this and saying, okay, so now we have something uh, that is able to, and that is known by the way. So thermography detects breast cancer is known. 
uh, you know, visual analysis uh, has, has, has been done earlier, right? You know, but of course, like I said, uh, these analysis requires very intricate analysis, very fine-grained analysis, and that's not possible with visual. So there were many errors in doing a visual analysis. So at this stage, um, I said, what, what is the use of finding the location of cancer when she's going in for a surgery? That means like, you know, some of the test has already found it, right? And then, of course, it, it's still useful. You will get more information, I guess, but uh, it can be better is what I was thinking. You know, it's not going to so solve the problem that I, want, I, ha I had in mind that detecting early stage cancer, it's all, already cancer is known. So, uh, so I thought, you know, why not um, uh, do a screening of a normal woman? And, do it. and so there was nobody in like uh, the nurse was taking the image uh, we asked her to sort of stand the other side and uh, you know take the image and she was normal and it was very far from Bangalore and so we were, we were not going there for that reason at that time so when this happened we checked and then we saw a very drastic difference between a normal and a cancer patient that's when sort of when I said okay there's something in here so you know, we really have to do something here so uh, I looked up and uh, met, uh, uh, you know, looked up and I found that uh, one Dr. Ramprakash sir was um, the only Indian radiologist who was using thermography in India, right? You know, and he had a small, uh, he still has a small diagnostic center where maybe like a maximum of 10 people per month walk in, like, you know, one a week, two a week, that kind of thing. But, but he was experimenting with this and then doing that as well as ultrasound and giving reports. So I called him and said, see, you've been using this. Uh, because as, as you earlier said, right, it's very important to get the domain knowledge. It's not just enough to read the books and sort of, you know, you know just discuss among computer scientists. So I thought if he has been using it, that's definitely something you need to learn. So I so went and met him. First, first, he thought I was coming there to do the test for myself. And I said, okay, <laughs> but yeah. So here is uh, thing. So I discussed with him, and uh, then um, uh, then I told him my idea. So I want to do a computer algorithm to detect this because you know it's, it's very hard. And he also said I'm not using only thermography because it's very hard for me to say uh, you know whether it's cancer or not. And later on, actually, we went to publish a paper together with uh, Doctor Fast Forward two years afterwards, and we found that with thermography alone, a visual analysis, uh, you know set of 300 patients you know he had called out some 89 patients as cancer not that he was not bad he was like a very good he is a very good radiologist but visual analysis will only he gave us 89 cancer patients of the 300 whereas only 20 had cancer right think about the 60 additional people it's like three times more people who are calling out that was like crazy so, I mean, when we did this test, we actually had the algorithms put in and just sort of uh, to give you an idea. So we called out 30 people, one more person extra, right? And that was, very, and we didn't miss anybody. So this was very, very important for us to say, okay, it's not just enough to find cancer. It's also important to not call out too many false positives. And that is what, that is the balance that an artificial intelligence algorithm brings. So anyway, so after that, you know, so that gave me more confidence, more knowledge. You know, I used to go to him more often, ask a lot of questions. What is fibrocystic disease? What is fibrodenum? All of these things, right? Why does it show up this color? So what do you look for? And, and, and then, so we built in a machine learning algorithm completely sort of, you know, this was actually uh, more discussions after I did the startup, right? You know, where, where I really wanted to take it to the market, right? So that's when you really want to understand and make sure that we don't do any harm to the citizens at the end of the day, right? So that's where, you know, a lot of additional knowledge uh, we were able to pick up.
Okay, so and, the, so and data also, yeah. Yeah, so so you've built that system where you were able to detect breast cancer using this algorithm. Can you talk about the importance of this for rural India, especially because the the cost of the existing solution, as you've said before as well, is, is much much higher. So could you talk about the impact that this can have on you know the women in rural India? Sure. So a uh, couple of things. So one is uh, again, uh, you know, mammography is great, but it has limitations. We talked about right. One other limitation of uh, being radio radiation specific using X-rays is that the the room around you, right, the room where the mammography machine is placed has to be very thick walled, lead walled if possible, right. Um, you cannot just take a mammography machine, put it outside, and then do the test and so on. You have to have a proper covering because you don't want to sort of you know, affect other people. You would have seen, right? Any X-ray you've taken, you're made sit, you're made to sit inside the room, and everyone goes away. Even the you know uh, radiographer mm -hmm. goes away, right? That's because he doesn't want to get uh, affected by it. Or there is a glass uh, uh, shield that's there. So because of all of these precautions necessary, um, it is not possible to take these machines, huge machines, outside. Of course, there are efforts of uh, making mammography vans, uh, you know, where they put it, make the van itself thick walled, have a generator on board and so on. Sh small efforts on, the, on this nature. But the cost of building such a huge van and a generator on board, it's like three crore plus or two and a half crores rupees, right? Uh, talking in Indian rupees. So which is, which is a huge burden, like, you know, who it's, it's usually a sponsorship from a well-known. So accessibility is a huge issue for the rural areas. Uh, because the cost of this itself is so high, like in in um, in an office or oh, sorry in a hospital, it costs three thousand five hundred rupees, which is which is again a big amount for for many many people, including working women. I mean, it's it's, it's a big amount. So both the as accessibility and affordability, um, you know, stop people uh, you know to go for these tests. You know, many in rural areas. So what we did was because our test is just measuring the temperature variations, and I don't have the camera here. I should have planned it. Sorry. Uh, so it's it's a very small device. Um, you just um, it, uh, it's like a small uh, you know like a water bottle size, small. So you just keep it in front, and uh, you know you just screen the person. It's connected to the power power uh, point and so on. But so the point is that you can just put it on your backpack and go to rural areas. Because there's no radiation, you don't need any protection walls. You can actually just put a cloth, uh, you know, kind of a room and then do it inside. Just for privacy reasons, you just have to create a booth and you can do it. And that makes it sort of, you know, accessible to these uh, villages, right? We have done several such camps in rural areas. Yeah. We, we take a small room in a primary school or, uh, you know, just outside, like create nice booth, you know, with all coverings and then make, make the screening happen. And affordability also, right? You know, we said, okay, why do everyone require a detailed report, like a three-page report with images and all that, which we are actually generating automatically. And that's required for a diagnosis, full diagnosis and the radiologist to review and all. But when you go to a rural area, you don't need a full three-page report. You don't even have a printer, printer, right? So we said, okay, why don't we give a, red, yellow, green, just uh, one of the three uh, signals. So I call it traffic light output, right? You know, so we just like, as soon as the test is done, it shows you literally a red, yellow, green on the screen. And uh, it is red, uh, you know, it doesn't mean like she has cancer, but what that means is that there, we suspect something's wrong. We suspect that 
there may be cancer in her with a high probability. So we suggest she goes for a follow-up test. She's yellow, we say, why don't you come back in a few months and then we'll do a redo our test or uh, you know, take care of your lifestyle and fix it. Green is like she can just do once a year, once in two years. And this is done completely automatically with simple health workers, right? And so that makes it more affordable as well, right? You know, so that's, um, uh, that's the sort of the point, right? Now, we also do many things free from our own um, company, CSR, if you can. So I was saying that you've made this more privacy aware. You've made it more accessible to rural India and more affordable. Now, at this point, I want to know, were you still working for Xerox or had you already left? And if you could you talk about the process, because a lot of entrepreneurs and want to be entrepreneurs will face this. They're at a job, which they may like, but they have this idea and they think this idea could be something great. Uh, could you talk about the thought process behind you thinking about leaving your job? Yeah, so it's always, uh, you know, trying, trying to do something good for the, uh, for, the, for the community, for the people, for the world, uh, with technology that has always motivated me to work, right? Be in the innovation space, come up with ideas, try and sort of, you know, um, change, change the world <laughs> if possible, right? Uh, with technology, with, with the tools that we have. With, with, uh, so that's, that's always been there. But um, here, uh, I think there was also a strong sort of will um, to go beyond just creating stuff, right? You know, that, you know, it, it, prototyping itself, coming up with ideas, prototyping itself is, is, is really a you know, challenging thing. It's a good thing. Uh, mostly we were thinking like, you know, we build something and then hand it over to the business group. I have done that within organizations like Hewlett Packard, Xerox and all so usually build it and then give it to the business team to sell it, right? So here I was sitting on um, one, the background of um, uh, some of my family members and friends uh, suffering and I have lost them. So, and I also know that there are many, many more people like that who, who do not have a way of checking whether they have early cancer. And then um, early results, right? I mentioned about uh, the normal versus abnormal we checked and suddenly there was a drastic difference. And that was sort of, I said, oh my God, there is something here that, that we are able to create, right? And around that time, I'll not be able to share more because of my uh, non-confidentiality sort of uh, clause with my previous organization. But there, are, there were conditions which um, uh, required me uh, to basically shut down the project, basically, right? And um, so, so that's, uh, that's when I thought, okay, so here I am, I am like, you know, I get a plump job and I continue in my same plump job and sort of maybe become the head of the center. Or, I mean, that, that was, that was offered. Um, and then let, let this uh, uh, idea, let this uh, uh, possible uh, solution die. You know, I literally thought, you know, dump it in the dustbin and sort of, you know, sit on a throne. I mean, that's, that's what I was like imagining. And I said, I'm not going to pardon myself. I'm not going to be pardoning myself. I'm going to regret that decision, you know, a few years down the line when, when I'm sort of seeing what all have I done and have I, you know, do I want to correct anything? So that was one thought I said, okay, definitely I do not um, want to be the cause of uh, not letting this 
reaches women, right? I will do what I can to take this to real uh, people and see what best I can to change this uh, scenario. I may not be able to do everything. Like, you know, I mean, I'm a small uh, speck in the world, but uh, if I'm able to at least do something, push it out, you know, to, to some extent and help at least a few people live longer. I mean, I thought that was a much, much better <laughs> thing to do in the world than um, improve your bank balance. <laughs> yeah. So, so that was a rough, like, it's really about the two choices you have and which one you want to choose. And nothing is wrong. I mean, you, you could, I could have stayed back and I could, I mean, I had tried to do it within the organization boundaries also. But this time I thought it was not possible inside the organization because it required us to take a lot of risk, you know, really trying out this, uh, you know, test which can say life and death. It's, it's really a lot of risk. But then I said, okay, if we don't do it, you know, this is going to get lost and nobody's going to do this again, right? You know, because we have come this far. So that was the thought process. I said, okay, let's give it a shot. At least for two years, I'm going to try my best. And if it doesn't happen, I can always find a job, right? I mean, uh, you know, our, our technical skills don't go away. I mean, it's not, there's a lot of abundance. You I may not get the same job, but how does it matter, right? So, so that is always there. I think uh, for, the, for those uh, corporate uh, employees who have the burning desire to, do something, that passion to do something, right? Uh, I tell you, if you, when you see that uh, passion really, really strongly, you'll really regret if you don't take the action then. And, and so, I mean, you just act, you know, don't worry, you know. Uh, the world is, uh, of course, there are some challenges, you know, jump off, you have to sort of uh, float, swim and all that. But there's always, uh, you know, something to do later if you, if you fail, don't worry, don't, don't, don't even, um, don't be afraid of uh, jumping off is, is what I say. But be, be sure that, you know, and, and be clear that it's not like, you know, I, I had worked for 20 years before, 25 years close to actually. And so, you know, I thought, yeah, I mean, I've done that. I did set another project, but it's not really that, you know, when you, when you come out, it's actually going to be ready to unlearn and learn new things, right? You know, there are several cushions you're used to, right? I know. Um, there are several, several lifestyles you're used to, right? And um, you just have to sort of set aside all that. The priorities are different. Uh, you learn new things of how to sort of, let's say, talk to investors, uh, you know, how do you raise funds and how do you actually talk to real customers and how do you convince doctors about your own, uh, you know, new ideas and where you go, like, as you said, you know, I don't have a doctor degree as in the MBBS degree. My, my dear doctor degree is... Um, uh, is a PhD, right? So when I go to a doctor, obviously, uh, you know, and say, how can somebody else who's not in my field tell me that what I'm doing is wrong and they have a new thing? Obviously, right? Uh, they are the experts in that area. But when I explain to them, this is what happened and this is what is a trial that we've done. So let me partner with you. I, you don't change the way you're doing it. Just do this test also additionally, right? And then see for yourself how it's making a difference. And trust me, Everyone who has tried said, like, this is wonderful. I really want to use it, right? And so, so that is, that's a lot, uh, a lot of uh, confidence, you know, in trying to see that this is really useful because the doctors have to really agree first. Secondly, when we see the end users, we're so happy to take this test, right? Uh, I won't name the institution, and this is an institution, it's a famous cancer institution, which does uh, at least 20 mammograms every day. 20 mammograms every day. And we put, the, put our machine 
next to it and said, okay, whoever is going through a mammogram, we'll go through near my test and then do a mammogram. We can do a comparison. The comparison came out very well and we published and all that. But from the experience standpoint, the women started asking, see, I really like the other test. Why should I go through this experience of compression and so on? Do I really need to take this test? They started asking, I like that. I, last time I came in, I, I did that. I don't, I, I know, I don't want to do this test. So do the mammography test. So the comparative angle, that is one. And then um, we work with cancer societies in rural areas. And he was saying that, you know, when we talk about cancer screening and all that, women used to run away. Right, you know, because they were so scared that you know there's compression, there's somebody else going to touch you and all of those things. We made a solution, no touch, no see. That is, nobody sees a person without clothes, nobody even touches the person without, without clothes, right? So this is very important. Privacy awareness is very, very important. We made a booth, the lady enters the booth and she walks out her report to the lady. Nobody is inside the booth. It's like a changing room experience. This has really sort of, you know, moved a lot of people, you know, women who want to take the test. You know, there will be like one or two people who come in for the test and uh, they got, they get this experience and they go and bring in every one of their friends around, like who, who can take the test. And we usually have this, you know, top heavy, like initially we start like, you know, people trickling in, we are saying, oh, oh, nobody's coming. Just like five, six people and suddenly there's a rush of 20, 30 people coming in. It's usually like, you know, we are not able to serve everyone also towards the end. So that's how it happens. So this uh, word of mouth, women liking it and the doctor accepting it uh, was further validation that this is the right thing for the world. And uh, we're continuing to do the clinical validation so that we can um, really prove that this is um, a good test to be put into the standard of care. It, it's a long way ahead, but yeah. I'm confident that we'll reach there sometime. That's amazing. Um, so, you know, there's a lot to unpack with what you just said, starting with when you were leaving your job, it's all about a purpose driven mission and minimizing regret. And a lot of entrepreneurs who I've talked to have said similar things. We're doing great things. They say, you know, we are on this mission and I don't want to look back in 20 years saying, hmm, I wish I did that. Yeah. And then, and then you moved on to talk about, you know, when you're selling to doctors, you had to prove the efficacy because you didn't have a background in it and you just did it by the proof is in the pudding, right? It's in the quality of the product. So I think that's an amazing point. And you, you, you ended with a thought on growing and um, scaling. Could you talk about the role of funding, especially in healthcare startups where, you know, the return on investment may not be there right from the start. It may take a few years. It may take 10 years um, with a lot of health tech startups. So could you talk about gaining the funding you need and how and some of the challenges that you overcame while uh, gaining the funding? And just for the audience, uh, Niramai has been able to raise 7 million US dollars for their project. So, and that's a great amount. So could you talk about that a little bit? So uh, we came out of the previous organization, me and Nidhi, uh, the co-founders. Uh, and uh, I did also have two other of my team members, like very, very core uh, members of uh, Niramai, uh, Himanshu and uh, Shivateja. So we came out and um, um, so there, there had to be an IP arrangement with my previous organization, and which meant uh, that we had to raise some funds. But not just that, and also sort of much around the startup, we had to do that. And but because of the IP arrangements, though we had only created, uh, you know, typically the corporate keeps the IP. So 
So that needed us to raise uh, quite some amount. And um, uh, we had to do that within three months. You know, that was the time period uh, you know, we had managed to get from my previous organization. So, um, so uh, January 1st, 2017, uh, Nidhi and I basically said, okay, let's see where all we want to go. And so uh, we went to a social impact fund. And the second person we met was um, uh, Manish Singhal from Pi Ventures. Manish Singhal and Uma Khan uh, from Pi Ventures, uh, which is an AI fund, basically. So we went, uh, we pitched, uh, uh, they really liked the idea uh, because uh, they said, okay, AI and machine learning is making a difference in the solution in this, clearly, right? Without AI, there's no solution because that's the 30-year-old story, right? That thermography has been around for that long, but it's not used. When you bring in AI, it can actually change the scene. So the AI is a differentiator and, and it matches our theme, our, our thesis, uh, their thesis of five inches. So, so that's the first point. So, um, and I, in fact, I got introduced to him through one of my ISC uh, batchmates. So there was like warm reference that was there as well, you know, just for people who want to do the thing. It helps to have a warm reference. And then, yeah, so that was the starting point. And um, of course, we pitched to a few more investors also uh, who said uh, there's a lot of uh, waiting time, right, for revenue. I think, and also there is a high risk. I mean, like, you know, what are the odds, you know, that um, that the world will accept a new test from a small startup in India? Right, I mean, uh, for for one of the prominent diseases, you know. So the the arts of success, you know, the the products like you know, also like two women trying to do. So a lot of these issues, right? So we did. Um, they said, okay, so maybe you'll not be able to do it, and all these things. And then, um, um, but yeah, so Pi Ventures uh, believed in us. Uh, we were able to get a term sheet within a month's time. And uh, because of the deadline, we went all out. Uh, you know, we got really uh, marquee investors along with Pi Ventures, uh, such as Axilar, which is an Infosys fund, Ankur Capital, um, 500 Startups, and Bini Bansal also has put in. So that was our starting uh, point. We were able to raise one million in by um, end of March, uh, 2017. So after that, sort of, we went on to do. Uh, we were able to buy a camera, <laughs> you know, camera, thermal camera was so expensive. So, and actually start a trial, uh, really do many things uh, live. And um, then um, uh, fast forward uh, two years, uh, I think uh, we had done well. We had done about 5,000 scans, uh, had published in a couple of places. And all up, like, you know, we had defended a lot of our patents uh, to have a few granted. So now we have uh, nine US patents granted patents and one Indian, uh, sorry, Canadian patent. That is totally 10 international granted patents. Um, so, so at that time, uh, like, you know, sort of we went to uh, many more investors. So this time it was much more risky. Series A investment was much more risky because we were asking for a much higher uh, investment. And uh, we had, uh, uh, we were lucky to uh, find a Japanese investor, a dream incubator, you know, um, who got introduced, we, uh, you know, our uh, previous investor, the seed round investor, finally startups introduced us to, uh, to him. And, uh, you know, Eto-san, who is a lead investor there, uh, actually you know, really liked the idea. There, are, there is an angle of resonation that happens, uh, you know, that is there here with respect to Japan, because Japan has, 80% um, of Japanese ladies have dense breasts, which, you know, where mammography doesn't work. And so they saw that, a solution has a relation 
uh, has a context, you know, has a, a definite use in, in, in their market as well. So we actually got two Japanese investors, one a strategic investor, I'll not be able to name, and another um, uh, dream incubator. And we had Bnext and, and Kotak and, 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 and HCG also, which is a hospital. All of them came together and we raised a second round. Um, it's, um, the agreement was December 2018, but yeah, we closed by February 2019, uh, six million round. So it was interesting because every time you go in front of an investor, they ask you a lot of bouncer kind of questions, right? And you won't have everything worked out. You know? So you say, okay, I'll go back, work out and come back. Many things, of course, you will know, but you'll, you'll learn you know, when you move to different, different um, uh, next level investors, you'll be able to answer many questions. But, uh, but it's really a learning exactly. So, you know, um, scaling, business model, unit economics, return on investment, all of these, right? You go back and then sort of work it out and then projections, all of these, right? You know, market understanding, competition, all that you sort of, you know, do the homework and go back and answer. And they're, I mean, they're good. I mean, uh, there's a reason why they ask those questions. Um, and I think um, the investor ecosystem, the VC ecosystem is, is really great that they're enabling several set startups to try out new ideas, right? Otherwise, you know, from where do we get the metric? Uh, but yeah, we also got a lot of support from the state, Karnataka, state government, Startup India, Bayrak. So we also got some government support also, uh, you know, grants for our research. And so that's been a um, very good ecosystem in India, I guess, uh, for startup, uh, you know, startups to come up uh, with new ideas. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And I think a lot of entrepreneurs say the same thing. India has now really been pushing startups. And now we're seeing a lot of innovation come out of India, which is, you know, incredible. I, I wanted to talk on one final point is that, um, you know, we all know we're all locked in with COVID-19. And the world is kind of in a very different state. And the the importance of health tech startups have been magnified right now. So can you talk a little bit about your role and Nirmai's role in helping COVID-19 detection? Yeah, so, um, yeah, March 16th, we decided to work from home and it's uh, May 16th past now. And mm -hmm. so it's like two months fully, all of us working from home. Uh, so initially, uh, we were doing the same thing, trying to sort of reach out to customers and so on. All the breast cancer screenings stopped in hospitals. Uh, we were not, um, you know, we didn't want, we stopped all camps because of the social distance issues. So, um, so it was a little bit of a lull, though, of course, we, we are working a lot on the technology and regulatory clinical front and all the work was going on, but still sort of the business front was a big lull. So that's when, um, you know, um, I got a thought saying, okay, we work with thermal cameras, right? And um, we see, at least in the airports and so on, use of thermal cameras for you know, detecting fever and all those things. I said, okay, what does it take for us to quickly build a solution for detecting fever automatically, right? So uh, put together a very small team, like one or two member team to just do the initial experimentation. And then uh, I'm happy to share that we do have a new solution for detecting or screening for COVID, uh, you know, specifically for fever and respiratory abnormalities, completely automatically. You just place the thermal imaging device, the same thermal camera, 
at the entrance of a building, uh, you know, where people are walking in, could be single or multiple people walking in. It'll actually scan everybody's temperature. It'll first also do a face detection, right? You know, it'll look for how many people are walking in. What are the individual person's temperature on the forehead? And then give that there and also, you know, uh, look for people uh, who have an abnormally high temperature. It could be fever, just higher 100 degrees, more than 99.5 degrees Celsius, Fahrenheit or people who have a relatively different uh, temperature variation. So because maybe if they're in AC room, you know, all of them will be at 98, 97, but a person who has uh, fever could be 98.7, that also is an aberration because the rest of the people are at a lower temperature. So all these kinds of things. Right? Once you start doing a people, uh, you know, detection, a person detection, face detection, and then do the analysis, the, uh, it's, it's a whole new way of screening. So essentially, uh, now we do have uh, this uh, COVID uh, niramifob fever test, which can be used for COVID screening. Uh, we have deployed it in a, a couple of places now, including uh, DCP, uh, you know, District Commissioner of Police Office of uh, DCP. Um, it's nice to see, right? You know, instead of having those forehead thermometers going so close to the person, because it's harmful for the person who is screening, because he's so close to the other person, and. Uh, because social distance is not maintained. And these devices, if not used properly, do not give proper results. So that's also an issue. Mm, and um, yeah, and, and ideally, the person who's screening needs to wear a PPE, full gown, and they just wear a mask and go near. That's also not good. So these are some of the limitations. So by putting a automatic um, you know, a fever screener, uh, you can get how many people were screened, what were their temperatures, uh, who got higher temperature, all those things uh, completely, like a daily report also we can get and we can have a foolproof way of screening and this is important because once the lockdown is lifted in india we do have lockdown right so once the lockdown is lifted people are going to come into the offices i mean we, we can't you know continue to be at home all the time so when this happens um contact-based tracing is not possible you can't say who all have gone where it, is, it becomes very hard so the only way to look for is like symptomatic uh, you know checks in addition, if possible, we can do contact. In addition, we have to do symptomatic check. And that's where this will be very helpful. Yeah, so I, I completely agree with you. You know, um, the person who is, has the temperature gun and he's, uh, you know, assessing it, he or she has to be exposed to everybody who is coming into the office. So they yeah. are most at risk. And then they... If Absolutely capture it they will pass it on to everybody potentially who comes in so it's much better to have this you know distanced version and have it automated so i think you know that's an amazing amazing thing that you guys have especially done. i think every every workspace should have a thermal screening and that's also by guideline it's required so if our office wants to open up they have to make sure that they're not spreading within their spreading mm -hmm. covid within their employee base so yeah that that's amazing that you guys were able to pull that together so fast um, I just want to end on one question, and it's what does Niramai look like in 10 years? What's the ambition? Are you going to stay focused on breast cancer? Do you want to spread out? What's the thought process here? Yeah, so the technology we have developed uh, is called Thermalytics, Thermal Imaging and Artificial Intelligence Thermal Analytics. Uh, we have tried it on breast cancer. I mentioned that we've tried it on COVID. We've tried it on a couple of other diseases also. So the, the scope and, and the possibility of impact of this technology is, is huge, actually. Not just on breast cancer, uh, several other types of cancer, several other types of abnormalities also. 
So um, in the long run, I feel, uh, you know, uh, we'll be in a company which uh, um, is able to create a new way of detecting abnormalities for the body, on, in the body, right? Uh, just like X-ray started off uh, fracture detection in your hand and now it's all over, right? Um, same way, this will be a new way of detecting abnormalities in the body, be it breast cancer, head and neck cancer, skin cancer, colonorectal, diabetes, foot, uh, very, very close fit, you name it. There's several, several things one can do with this. And um, I look forward to making that happen with partnerships, with uh, you, know, you know, the ecosystem around us, supporting us. Um, yeah, moving forward, hopefully, as much as possible, push it out. That, that's incredible and I wish you guys the best of luck. I'm sure Nirmai are going to do more amazing things in the very near future. Thank you. So thank, a lot. Thank you Dr. Manjanath for coming on. Um, and everybody thank you so much for listening. Thank you for tuning in. If you liked this podcast make sure to subscribe in the subscribe button below and we will be posting new podcasts every week. So thanks everybody for listening. Thank you Dr. Manjanath for being on. Thank you, Aman. This is great talking to you. Thank you. Bye. Bye.